0: Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Uh, good afternoon, beautiful people. This is Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have the honor to be in the presence of Jay Carico. Is how you pronounce your last name? Carico? You got that exactly right. That's awesome. OK, a self-described anti-fascist and anarchist, former pro wrestler, writer, musician, amongst a lot of other things that we're going to learn about Jay today. Uh, Carico's band Sound Bandits released a brand new album last month entitled Norse Crimes. Carico has agreed to do an hour and a half interview, which is very generous of you to do that. I appreciate it. And Jay is also a co-founder of Guillotine Press, and they ran for U.S. Senate in 2018 in the state of Tennessee. I'm assuming that's where you're located right now. <laughs> that is. It is. Okay, me too. I'm just on, in a different part now. I was closer to you in Knoxville, but now we're in the Nashville area. Okay, about two hours away. Where are you based right now, Jay? Uh, Cleveland, near Chattanooga. Cleveland. Okay. So do you want to kind of tell the audience a little bit about um, sort of your background? You say you're from Cleveland, Tennessee. So how do we get from Cleveland, Tennessee to sort of like-minded people like us talking
1: right now? How do we get to that journey? I was born to um, Stella and uh, John Edward Sisk. And uh, they had some issues with addiction when they were, when they were, um, when they first had me and stuff. And um, uh, they didn't really feel like they were able to be the kind of parents they wanted to be. And uh, my aunt adopted me. Um, I was homeless at the time. Um, and uh, they they felt like that wasn't a good situation for me. And so they dropped me off mm-hmm. at my grandma's. And I was adopted by a middle-class family. My dad was a chemical engineer. Um, very conservative. We went to church every Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday for youth study you know and uh i grew up in that um maybe i took it too seriously and became a communist (laughs) cheers man but uh you know um basically uh you know the, the real journey is i went to the dnc club i went to the rnc club my school and the rnc club seemed like a pep rally um, that was all white um, and and the and uh, and the Democratic clubs and like a strategy meeting that was diverse and, uh, and and so I started kind of moving a little bit more liberal and that's and then and then Obama came along I'd studied anarchism a little bit, studied some stuff um, but I hadn't really hadn't really got to me yet. Obama came along and he like you know made me cry with his speeches, said some beautiful things and, and I really uh, really believed in in what he was he was talking about. And then he did it he got, to
0: all of us at one point.
1: <laughs> and And then he got elected, and I saw him do the same things. And I realized that you know that he's not really the one who's running stuff, you know. and um and he, and if he was, I'm not sure that he has the same beliefs as you know, the majority of the working class people. Um, and uh, so then, you know, uh, I guess Ron Paul was and I was in the Navy for a little while. I'd gone to seminary. I had gotten out of that gone to uh well the church of christ version of seminary um but uh preaching college and then i had gotten uh, away from that i had gone to the military i found out they were building oil pipelines before they built water pipelines and I and during holiday routine i've been studying islam and so i was just like no i don't think i'm gonna do that refused deployment engaged in a pattern of misconduct to get removed from the military um soon after that i found out about ron paul and the anti- War stuff that he was talking about, and I was like into that. But then I found Noam Chomsky and kind of was against those economic policies that Ron Paul was pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I became a libertarian socialist. Now I was for about 15 years. More recently, I've um, I've delved more into Marxist Leninism and more into communism a little bit because I, I feel like I had turned a blind eye to these things just because they were called authoritarianism, albeit now I've kind of. I've uh, been looking back on those things with a more of a benefit of the doubt situation because I feel like those folks were a lot more like us than 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 I had been led to believe, and they wanted the same things we did. And I was wanting to see like what happened, what went wrong, like what, or or what we've been, not been told, you know. And so that's where I'm at now. And um, I've been involved in activism for 15 years. Um, I run nonprofits and uh, done a lot of different labor and and anti hate organizing and stuff.
0: Well, that's awesome i tell you, some of the stuff you just said, Jay, I want to sort of elaborate on because since I'm an educator, that's that part of me coming out. My audience is probably a lot less familiar with a lot of the terminologies you just used. You used a, about three there that I kind of want you to expand on to sort of differentiate what those philosophies are. Before we even talk about anarchism, I want to talk about what is Marxism-Leninism? What is... Um, I don't know if you identify with stalinism at all but can you kind of break down the two or three branches that you just mentioned as far as um ideologically speaking so we
1: can kind of get that clear sure sure um i think that um so i I am a baby communist if you want to call it that i'm new (laughs) to this i'm not i'm not as young i'm not like i've been studying anarchism for 15 years so i can give you a million Mm -hmm. rundowns on those but because I'm newer to uh, Marxism, I hope that I can give it just do it justice. But the, the idea is that um, the workers produce um, everything um, and they have very little leverage in the um, way that things are run, what they're building, why they're building it, um, who they could to choose to represent them, et cetera, et cetera. And um, Marx's idea is that if the workers had, were in control of the government, if they were able to take over the government, that eventually could lead to a place where there was no need for um, coercive government, Um, that that the workers would take over eventually. And and then Marxist-Leninism is the practice that um, brought about a a revolution in in Russia, Mm -hmm. and it's the the writings thereof that kind of are about the theory of how to practice that, how to bring that into reality… Um, and of course, um, we live in a different situation on a lot of different levels than uh, 1917 Russia. Um, so uh, I think that um, folks want to look at and say, okay, what were the problems here? What were the things that, um, you know, along with 14 different invasions within their first, you know, mm-hmm. t- 10 years of being in a power, you know, what were the other aspects that were difficult or what, what, were the, what were the what were the things that they did wrong what were the things they did right and and how can we compare those material realities to the material realities of today a lot of what Marx talked about was based on Hegel's dialectics and uh and um about you know seeing something as a contradiction seeing the different things that come together and uh and how to kind of like either synthesize or 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 Cha- change the situation in which you know there's a power dynamic that's unjust essentially
0: okay so going back to your point about uh, marxism i appreciate that breakdown too just for some audience members that may be less familiar with some of these ideologies as is that a proposition that's a gradual dissolution of the government under marxism or is that something that's spontaneous how, how does that work
1: so, so in my understanding and in my my reading, uh, this would not be something that was spontaneous because um, spontaneous revolution uh, or spontaneous action in general, spontaneous activism uh, can do something to inspire people. It can it can it can lead to people saying, "Oh, that's a really important thing to do." Um, it can lead to helping people in an immediate situation. It can lead to um, a lot of you know good things for the moment. Um, but as long but I guess what as Marxist um, or as I guess what a Marxist would say would be that as long as the uh, the global financiers of capital, like the people who are in charge of the majority of the resources, then the amount we're able to do is going to be very, very little unless we're organized as much as they are as a working class.
0: OK, I like the way you brought that into the fold, because I was going to talk about. Um, this article that that's how I found out about you, Jay, was through this article um, by a publication called the outline from 2018, when you ran for the Senate of Tennessee against Phil Bredesen and um, Mar- Marcia Blackburn and five other independents, I think in the field. And I know, I don't know if you followed my previous podcast, but uh, to, to me, I mean, dim publicans are, that's what they are. I mean, it's a one party state as far as I'm concerned. I don't, waste my fucking time trying to differentiate between a D and R when it's, you know, the same objective. But how did that go um, for you? Because I'm assuming you tried to introduce some sort of an anarchist platform into that Senate race. Like, how did that work? Just um, your experience um, campaigning and everything. So I
1: definitely am along the lines of the Black Panthers when they say that if it's not accessible to the poor, it's not revolutionary. Um, so, uh, in so doing, I decided, I, I, I probably made a hundred dollars, uh, in campaign donations because I didn't ask, I did not ask, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, because I was like, I want to see how far we can go without, with just memes and videos and, and, and podcasts and what anybody without any sort of money would not have access to, you know, just to see how far we get. Go. We got 3.5,000 votes. Um, I did have a platform. Um, What happened was uh, actually to lead up to all this was um, I had been doing uh, anti-hate work for this group called uh, uh, TARN, Tennessee Anti-Racist Network, and I had been organizing a group against uh, AMRIN, which was uh, this American Renaissance which um, is tied closely to the Christian Conservative Coalition, which used to be called the White Citizens Council. Mm, uh, yeah. um, and Bill Richardson, who was a uh, – I believe – I'm not sure if he was the vice president, but he was the uh, – no, he wasn't the vice president. George H.W. Bush was. So he was an advisor or on the cabinet of some sort in uh, R- Ronald Reagan's ca- uh, administration.
0: The Bill Richardson from New Mexico? I believe so, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and uh, and uh, he was part of the White Conservative Council or White, White Citizens Council anyway so uh, th- this is a uh, and uh, and so I've been going and doing um, demonstrations uh, against uh, Ameren which is in my backyard basically here like, close to you actually in Dixon Tennessee uh, near Nashville mm-hmm. and uh, I had been doing uh, I had been the first year I went you know uh, I spoke at a conference with Opal Tometi and Lisa Garza who were the founders of black lives matter um, and Jeannie Alexander who's an amazing prison activist um, uh, uh and, uh, and 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 Beth Foster, who who helped me uh, learn a lot of this stuff through justice school and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I had been to that for about four years, and I had been the main organizer. Uh, I had been doing that for a few years, and then Donald Trump got elected, and that year a lot of people showed up to the um, to the demonstration mm-hmm. uh, because you know the alt right had been you know he was hit they were he was their guy, you know, and uh, a lot of people showed up that year. I got attacked. Um, but right before that, um, Daryl Lamonticus had asked if I could do media on behalf of Antifa because him and Lacey, uh, who were mostly doing it, were just o- over inundate, uh, inundated with um, with with media calls and stuff. And so that was about that that I had been doxing fascists and stuff, um, and doing a lot of work, you know, for, over the over the, in the previous few years. And uh, I had been getting threats and being doxed myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that year, I got attacked by a Nazi. I was able to defend myself. That made some news. Is, uh, is that
0: the, the photo? Did they use the outline? Or somebody did, like,
1: the Charlottesville rally? Is that what that was? That was two weeks before Charlottesville. Oh, so this, you got beat up before that. Well, I actually, well, I was attacked, but I actually defended myself. I was fine. Uh, he ended up on okay. life flight um, being, uh, helicoptered off, because I, I was in the military, I've, I've done MMA, exactly. and wrestling, and stuff, so I knew what I was doing, and, like, um, he did not realize that, <laughs> I don't think when he attacked me, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and so, um, and then when Charlottesville happened about two weeks later, I was jumped that day, and that's when I was attacked by like six. I saw
0: that you get kicked in the head and stuff, I saw the pictures.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got, I got hit with a, ba- uh, I got hit with a maglite, luckily I had body armor on, um, I was, I was pretty much fine, um, but, uh, I wasn't fighting back that day because I did because I was on bond from the previous situation. And I didn't want to go to jail um, in Dixon, Tennessee, where they have Confederate monuments outside their <laughs> courthouse. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, I mean, I got a headlock, and like, this little kid, this kid, he had to be like, he, I don't know, he may have been eighteen, but he was young, you know, and he he, he had me in a headlock and I just like looked at him. He was trying to push me down and I was just like looking at him. Cause I was like, bud, you're not going to do anything. And he like, he like, <laughs> he like punched me and I just stood there kind of just like shrugged my shoulders. You can see this in the, in the, in the, like I like shrugged my shoulders in the video. <laughs> like, Cause like, I mean, he's just, just a little kid, you know? And, um, but, uh, that, that, that happened. And then, um, through that situation, when all that stuff happened, um, I got a lot of folks, you know, who were, um, either endorsing candidates and running candidates and stuff like that who asked me to run and so yeah I was like I was like well I, I, this would be an opportunity to move the Overton window a little bit um and I was an anarchist at the time but I wanted to be able to get those ideas out there of and, and one of my platform for instance was um pay ratios so like right now some corporate CEOs make 2500 times the lowest employed employee and i felt like if we could incentivize um lobby whatever you know uh, we have to do in the current situation to get to a place of like 100 to 1 or 10 to 1 or whatever you know where the, when the profits go up everybody gets a raise
0: so that's your one to 10 ratio proposal that you had
1: yeah that's i cool. heard you
0: talking about that in a couple of interviews the one to 10 ratio can so that's basically um you make a tenth of what the ceo
1: makes is that what that is well, that would be the, that would see, I, yeah, I would push for one to 10, but you know, one to a hundred, one to, you know, one, anything. Right. Anything like show, compared
0: to what it is. What is it now?
1: Know, it could be anything. It doesn't, there's no, there's no. One to 300,000 of me, anything, yeah. right. It could be, yeah, it could be, it's a very arbitrary assessment based on the, what the CEO and the board board want to do, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So yeah, that I know in those same interviews, you seem to have a conflict kind of like I do. I have a conflict about minimum wage. W- mm-hmm. What are your views on minimum wage? Because. Uh, with inflation and and besides inflation it's just at some point you know geographically is not universal mm. because living in one place is not the same as living in tennessee so how do you view minimum wage do you think raising it is sufficient or do you just have a completely different philosophy altogether
1: uh, i think that anything we can do you know what i mean is 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 good you know i mean if we can raise it that's great um i think that not necessarily de facto but de jure. Uh, mm-hmm. The CEOs will probably raise prices because they aren't gonna, you know, that's how they're gonna adjust it. Is, is to is to kind of almost uh, punish the consumer for the for the worker doing better in a certain way. I mm-hmm. think that a living wage would be better that was like tied to actual economic, uh, you know, uh, uh, conditions. You know, actual. You know, that would be great. Um, that that would be that would be the, that would be the best thing would be to tie it to actual economic conditions. Well, the best thing would be worker ownership, but it, it's sort of that. You know, um, I think that yeah, tying it to the actual conditions, tying it to the profits, tying it to you know if you you know that, I think any of these things would be better than just just a minimum wage hike uh, because yeah, again, like people pay the minimum wage because it's the minimum wage; it's like the lowest they can go, so they'll do that in a lot of situations.
0: I. I wanted to talk to you specifically and I invited you on because I think there's so many misconceptions about what anarchy is, what are different anarchisms and I have some leanings within anarchy I don't quite understand 100% but I've always been one of those type of people politically, I don't want to really understand I'm not into theory deep deep into theory because my lived experience enough is enough to show me that I know that this is not the right way to do things. Like I, I don't like the system at all. And so I'm, I'm, I know what the, I'm definitely part of the left, but as as, and I think I'm pretty far to the left, but it, I don't try to identify too much because I just kind of let my actions speak for that. And I like to hear you talking about these different things, because I think people have this perception that anarchists just want to overthrow shit, but they don't have like views about, Economy and about how the systems should work, and so that's why I'm enjoying this because I'm actually getting like, you no, know, this person has views about this same bullshit electoral system that you guys like to cheerlead and and you know follow all the time. You no, know, you can be against the system but still want to change the system and have those uh, views yourself. So, how do you? What do you mean by anarchy? What does that mean to you? And what are the different sort of um um adversities
1: that you deal with within the anarchist communities so anarchism as an ideology is the idea that unjust hierarchy unjust authority um should be abolished and we should critique authority and the burden of proof is on anyone with authority to prove that they're legitimate um so i still hold to a lot of that um I still hold to a lot of that and 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 to to answer your question i think that there's different variations thereof there is um anarcho-syndicalism which is where mm-hmm. trade unions essentially would be the committees that would kind of um on a national level arbitrate things but then on a local level the individual workplaces would up would be the way that things would be run mm-hmm. um in terms of what issues I've had in, in doing that, you know, is just running for office as a, as an as an open anarchist. There was anarchists who were against that, you know, who said no anarchists doing that, you know, mm-hmm. and um and I agree, and I mean to a certain extent it's probably true. Um, I, I think that um. I think that that uh, anarchism in Rojava, in Chiapas, and and like mm-hmm. you just said, Chiapas they don't actually call themselves anarchists. They just learn by doing, and they just you know absolutely. Follow. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but but you know you could call that. But uh, the uh, Catalonia, there's parts of India, um, uh, and you know I, th- I think all of these things. I support these projects. I think that they're great projects. I think that that uh, the issue, I guess, that I would have today with anarchism is that um, if there is no organizational structure that is moving those com- communes, essentially those <laughs> autonomous zones. Um, in, in if you they, know if they ever tried to go up against empire they'd be crushed immediately mm. and uh, they need some and, and, and so uh, so the question is how do you make those already existing things organized enough to where it would be able to stand up against Empire if that ever happened you know and, and that's where I guess I got more into Marxism because it seems like that is the it's like the program for how to do that you know how to turn from it to go from having organized a autonomous space to making that a national policy, you know, where workers are running things as opposed to just um, an individual area that may be able to achieve such, you know, um, situation.
0: There are lots of um, self-described anarchists that run for office. And I kind of had an issue with um, the, the outline article. And I do have an issue with other people who they tend to be They almost seem like they're purists when it comes to um, like they have the right to tell other anarchists or anyone else, you know, how it's supposed to be done, you know, those type of people. And I feel like the whole idea of an anarchist run for office isn't that uncommon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. At least people that have followed over the years, I know that they run for office who identify as anarchists. So I think that that's a misconception in itself. But like you said, I mean... I don't think it's something that's necessarily fixed, you know. I don't. I don't think it's as fixed as people who are against it make it seem. You know, I just think it's simply um, it, it becomes incorporated with other leftist philosophies over time. And I did have a question about that. Is it possible to be right and anarchist and be a, and and be a part of the right? Is that even possible? Because I've so heard, I, I've heard libertarians and other people say that they're also. They have anarchist leanings. What do you think about that?
1: So I think that um, okay. Let's say you had uh, anarcho-capistan, anarcho-capitalism. Let's say right, and you create a situation in which there's no government, there's no, uh, there's a gun, you know, and, and if that, and, and if there's nobody holding that, um, then the people who have the control of resources, uh, let's say you're you're a business owner and you have capital. Um, in that situation. Let's say somebody and you and you hire a bunch of workers. You hire a security firm to protect your assets. Well, if those workers, there's going to be more of them than you, and there's going to be more of the security firm than you. So if those workers can convince that security firm that their interests are more aligned than your interests. Well, you're not going to be in control very long because who's going to stop them from taking over? And so, so, uh, well, well, I think that uh, I think that. Um, Anarcho-capitalism is a ideology held by people. Um, it, 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 you know, uh, Murray Rothbard was a, a libertarian mm-hmm. uh, uh, who was, a, a, I guess, a um, colleague of Ayn Rand, and uh, he came up with the term libertarian, which had been used as a way of describing an uh, anarchists or libertarian socialists. Um, you know, prior to that, uh, and he kind of. You took that word. So do I think that it's possible to identify as a right-wing person and be an uh, anarchist? I mean, technically, yes. Uh, in practice, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't know how to understand how the, the the capitalists of that day, first of all, will will not be an authority, first of all, and secondly, how they'll keep that authority without the use of a state. Mm. Um,
0: That makes, that's a good point. It really is. I, I asked that question because you, so where are you at right now? Do you believe that electoral politics can work? Um, do you have any sort of hope in electoral politics or do you think it has to be pretty much all direct action at this point?
1: So, um, I think that it depends on where you are geographically. Okay. And it depends on if you're talking about local state, national government. Um, Like if you're in California right now, uh, you have the option on your ballot to vote for the PFP or the Democrats in some places, and you don't even have the option to vote for Republicans anymore because they didn't make the ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of cool, you know. Like that's 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 optimistic. Um, I I think that our current electoral system, as is, however, on a national level especially, um, and and on a statewide level to to a large extent.  … Is um, so controlled by the muddied interest. Like I said, government's mm-hmm. a gun, and the rich have the monopoly on it. They have the monopoly on the state. They own it. They run it. They uh, you know. And so anything that and like you said earlier, the Republicans and Democrats are very similar. I think the Democrats are basically controlled opposition. They take what the left and what people, human beings, are struggling with, and they provide a solution that benefits the rich, and they sell it to the working class. And when that doesn't work, the Republicans say, oh, look, that didn't work, you know, or they say that wasn't an issue to begin with or whatever they say. And because the Democrats are ineffective at actually meeting the needs of the people, then it, it doesn't then they can say, look, these leftist ideas are useless, you know. And um, so they play off each other, I feel like. And. Um, oh, I, I don't feel I know. I know you say you feel like that. I know that they play. <laughs> I know that they sleep together. Like I know that. from. <laughs> And and so, and so the the, the, you know, that's what it's it's like if the government was run for the workers, if the workers had leverage within the the government, even um, then in well, let's say like this in situations when government when workers do control the government, the material conditions are better, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if right now, and I don't, so I wouldn't say the direct action is the so, so uh, direct action is super important. Um, I think that. We do need to organize to have uh, electoral presence for sure, especially on local level. Um, and, and if we had that on a local level, we could build up. but we need a party. We need to have some sort of party that has uh, union um, connectivity that has international ties, that has um, these things that is run by workers for workers. you know there was the farmer Laborers party there was there's a lot of parties that do a lot of powerful things. I do think that you do need to, that we do need to, insert ourselves into that situation because if not if if only for the reason of that's the where people look that's where people's eyes are and if you can even if you're just putting up a sign that says look over here instead you know what i mean like at least Mm -hmm. people see it you know so um i think that we have to use all of the all of the levers that we can possibly use Mm -hmm. to to change the situation um I, i don't think that it alone will do it it's like one of my campaign slogans was don't just vote you know
0: and how much during your twenty eighteen Senate run? How many votes did you get?
1: Uh, three point five thousand. Really, mm-hmm.
0: three thousand five hundred. Yes. And and what were your expectations um, going into the race? Did you think
1: you were going to get any at all? I, I didn't. I uh, I just wanted to. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really have a certain number of expectation. Um, I, I was uh, it, it, uh, I, I was I was I was surprised, happily surprised at the amount of votes we got given that we didn't spend any money. You know? No money
0: at all. Uh,
1: yeah. And I'm um, assuming
0: no visibility on television. Obviously not.
1: Well, I was on CNN. You were. Uh, and a Netflix documentary um, and uh, Time and Newsweek and Rolling Stone. So there was some there was some. Oh, uh, wow. Stuff. Um, but that was that was because of Daryl. You know, asking me to be uh, do media for Antifa, and then him sending me media that he got you. And Daryl's the guy who pioneered doxing. For people who don't know, he runs One People's Project. He's a uh, uh, his dad was part of the Milkshake uh, protests back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, He's he's a really cool dude. We're all we're sort of going all over the
0: place, but Mm -hmm. that's the way chaos to me works out really well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to get to that later. You mentioned Antifa. That That's um, also a name that came in the news, obviously, doing more towards Trump, because I've been following politics for over 20 years, and I had never heard Antifa referred to that often in mainstream mm-hmm. media or any media, for no. that matter. W- what exactly is
1: um, Antifa? So, anti-fascism is a set of tactics and ideology, to a certain extent. Uh, more set of tactics, honestly, because you could be Marxist-Leninist, you could be anarchist, you could be a Democrat, you could be a Republican, you could be a libertarian, really? and be anti-fascist in the sense that if you're standing up against fascists, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you're and you're so what that I would say, you know, it's 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 stopping them from organizing ethnic cleansings. You know, that's that's the, that's the main thing. It's it, through intimidation, through making sure they don't get a chance to speak, through. Um, Whatever it might be to stop their rallies from being able to uh, go on, but doxing them, making them lose their jobs, making folks not want to be fascist anymore. And it started in the 1930s in Italy, uh, you know, was all throughout, you know, whenever there's fascists, there are anti fascists. And it's, it's, it's more of a tactical reaction. It's not necessarily an ide- it can be an ideology of its own to a certain extent but um, I, I feel like it's so diverse that um, it's not necessarily it's like occupy you know what I mean it's like uh, occupy had all sorts of people in it um, but uh, anybody who's against you know uh, white supremacists ethno states you know those kinds of things white nationalism if you're engaging with that situation you know and trying to uh, stop them from getting their their ideology into the mainstream, then you're part of that, you know
0: I have I will I'll push back some um on what you say, not in a way that's argumentative, but simply we have some disagreement about this. My whole thing is that I feel like we've been getting more fascist over time, and that the one party system is a fascist party. so i don't I don't know how Democrats and Republicans especially. Could be anti fascist when to me they are the fascists. You're you're right. They're the fascists with suits and ties. Oh, you're right. Versus the fringe fascists who are in the streets fighting against antifas. I mean, that's just that's the way I see that. No,
1: I agree with you 100. And I guess I would make the distinction. I would make the caveat that I might make is when I say when I said that when I said that Republicans and Democrats could be anti fascist technically what i mean is somebody who votes for republicans or votes for democrats could mm-hmm. also be out on the street oh, I and you. saying hell no we're not going to let you talk your white supremacist bullshit
0: you know right right um, have you ever had because i know you've had a very interesting like upbringing and you talked to that um you spoke to that some do you do you have conflicts in your mind sometimes about that approach Um, I guess going more towards the uh, uh, obviously a big threat, but a smaller group of people when you compare that to like the actual electoral system that has its Mm. own sort of um, backdoor schemes and everything else, do you sort of have conflicts with what you're doing is not enough or, or you want to attack
1: certain parts of it? Certainly. I think that the the anti-imperialism movement is, uh, is, 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 is a is a certainly a powerful and important thing to consider when we are talking about anti fascism because the prison systems are fascist, the mm-hmm. border patrol systems are fascist. Uh, you know, um, we have to look at that, yeah, for sure, 100%. I, I think that that uh, that these folks, it's not so much about numbers, you know, it's more about power, like you know, I mean, like power. yeah, like Stephen Miller was the you know. Uh, Trump, you know, I mean, these these folks, Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. uh, these folks are have power, and they are, uh, or Alexander Dugan, if you're talking about Russia, for instance, um, he helped bring down the Soviet Union, and he's helped build the alt-right ideology in the United States. Um, I think that we can. Uh, I think that there are, yeah, there's like way bigger enemies. Um, I think that, and I think that there, I think that you know, it's just a matter of like these folks will attack innocent people. And they will uh, they will let people who aren't so innocent, who are interested in this kind of ideology, mm-hmm. they'll give them shows of power. And mm-hmm. we have to humiliate them because the, their taxes don't work to build their movement. You know what I mean? We don't want it to build. We don't want it to grow. We want it to stay small. We want it to stay fringe. Right. So, uh, okay. But I think also at the exact same time, yeah, it's, it's super important to realize that our whole system is very much uh, – in some ways, if a corporate – You know, it's a corporate uh, republic uh, run by corporates, corporations. It's got democratic aspects, but it's not like I mean, obviously, in 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 Italy under fascism, they did not have democracy. You know what I mean? Like the uh, Mm -hmm. so like there's a difference. I think somewhat, but it's it's uh, it's pretty close, pretty pretty close. And imperialism is a is a is a slightly different beast, but it's 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 it's, colonialism is 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 an aspect of fascism for sure.
0: Yeah, that's, I think this is what makes it so tough, because um, when you're doing yourself on the ground, it, it's not publicized at all. But I mean, why would the corporate media publicize something like that and pretend to have um, the interest of the anti-fascist? But they're really just upholding the same bullshit system. You know, they're not actually trying to solve anything. They're actually promoting it more than anything. And then they invisibilize the actual activists and if they do visibilize them they villainize them mm-hmm. and so you have to go through so many different loopholes just from that angle and so i definitely i value your work on the streets and i i commend you jay and all the other people that you've worked with over the years and continue to work with um i think i operate more so from the systemic um approach and the suit and tie people affect way more people than but but That doesn't mean that those elements couldn't strengthen, you know, in collaboration with the system that's already in place. So it's a tough situation. That's why it's hard to strategize, because it is just constantly a moving target all the time.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, any like you said earlier about talking about spontaneous action, Uh, mutual aid, for instance, let's say mutual aid is great. You go and feed some people, you know what I mean? But like if you don't build programs out of that, if you don't get demographic surveys of what else they need, of how to make it to where um they can be out of that situation and stuff like that then it's just spontaneous and and uh and in the same way if we don't use the things we learn to 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 to, to write and, and to express and to show what worked and what didn't all these if we don't if we don't do that then it's 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 nothing you know what i mean it's it's, it's just a inspiration it's just a a day where we stopped where we didn't where we stopped something bad from happening maybe or where we were able to feel good about. Standing up against you know hate or maybe we maybe we're able to change some minds you know through conversation you know something like that, but it's not necessarily you know it, everything has to be and the reason that I I feel like the anti-fascism was a, a was a place that I, a space that I wanted to be in was because if we do need to have um, you know if, if there comes a time when we have the organizational capacity to stand up against this thing we're gonna need who we we're gonna people are gonna need to be able to uh, you know um, be effective in that uh, on a number of levels, and I felt like one of those levels was um, security, and so I felt like that would be a good place to meet people, and to uh, you know gain you know some level of credibility amongst folks, um, so that when that next phase happens, you know that we have these kind of like um, capacities that uh, otherwise would not have existed because we didn't experience them. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, just to just to give a, like a historical example. Um, When the Chinese nationalists and the uh, communists were in a a civil war against each other, uh, the Japanese invaded um, in World War II, and they temporarily started firing their guns in the same direction. But right before that, there was the the long march, which was 366 days where uh, um, a group of Chinese uh, communists had to move from one area that had been taken over by nationalists into another area. Uh, during this time, they were bombed every day. They were in skirmishes every day. Um, but through that, Mao Zedong was the one who uh, led that. He was the, he was the, the regional commander, essentially, mm-hmm. if you want to say it like that. And uh, afterwards, whenever people started going, oh, wait a minute, these nationalists and these fascists have very similar ideologies… <laughs>
0: And they mm. and
1: uh, and then not the left wing but the, the right wing nationalists and um and uh and so like they said oh, okay and also these guys are really good at guerrilla warfare because they've practiced guerrilla warfare, you know, and they practice security, they practiced militancy, and so they were able to fight off the the, the Japanese, and so they were so so people started following them, giving the popular support, not just because they were ideologically agree- in agreement, um, although I think that a lot of times for most majority of people the communist ideology did meet their material needs but it was also because these guys were able to defend against the invasion you know and um so i felt like that was a good place to go on a longer on a longer look uh, like a longer forward view of the situation was a place where it was good for networking to be able to meet people who were Really serious about this, you know, and and, and any anti fascist I've ever met doesn't just go to anti fascist demonstrations, they do all the other stuff too. You know, they do the mutual aid, they do the organizing, they and that's why I say, you know, there's people who and I, and I and I and I do, you know, earlier I said Republicans could technically be, you know, someone who voted Republican could technically also be anti fascist, and I have seen that, I've seen that, you know, people out. In the demonstrations who said that they voted Republicans, probably not here recently. They didn't vote for Trump, I'm sure. But like, you know, if it, you know, but but maybe a time before that, you know, they might have considered <coughs> themselves that or whatever. They may be, you know, a Mitch Romney kind of person, you know. Mm. Um, and stuff like that. Not to say again, not not to say that any of these beliefs are not fascist in and of themselves per se, but that there's such there's enough of a dismissal of that like of i guess what the word the, there's enough of a of a distance that somebody could hold both thoughts at the same time like i don't mm-hmm. like white supremacy i don't like this or that but i also want a free market you know what i mean or something like that you know right okay i got you i have so many different
0: ideas going on i I want to sort of bring back your personal background into the full and talk about. You have this group, right? And it's called Sound Bandits. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And do you incorporate any of your political philosophies in your music?
1: Certainly, yeah. Um, on 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 a couple levels. Um, one, we do have um, one of our albums, "Bastard Childhood," is <laughs> is uh, is Disney samples, but. <laughs> changed so that they sound communist, so like, or, or or you know working class, pro working class, and then we added metal doom guitar to it, you know, um. So so that that's definitely a way. And then some of our other songs that, that do have lyrics. A lot of our stuff is very post rock ambient. Okay. Uh, you know, um, instrumental, but some of the songs do have lyrics. Like one of them is James Five, which is probably the most anti capitalist verse in the in, in the New Testament. Um. And, uh, and we just read from that like straight up, and like there's just like a a beat behind it. Um, <laughs> okay. and, and, and then secondarily, I would say that hauntology has definitely inspired us. Um, uh, that, uh, one of the artists that uses that as burial. Um, there's a group called burial that's it's it's uh, one of our albums, for instance, is like pop samples, but we take them and make them haunting, like make them scary sounding and make them like almost remove the pretense. okay. And, You know, and so that they are like saying the same thing, but it's like the meaning has now changed because it's darker. You know, just so. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, we take that kind of we. So we, um, and I think we break convention a lot. We're trying to um, to do something that's not like we have like parts in our music that are catchy, or parts in our music that are super melodic, or parts in our music that are you know hooky. Mm -hmm. but we kind of bury that inside of a bunch of ambience, noise, abrasive stuff. And then, you know, just like post-rock. And and in so doing, we're kind of like saying, this is like what life is. It's not just the, the, the hooks, not just the catchy parts. It's like a lot of tough stuff too. So we kind of want to use the music as like a, as a, as a uh, catalyst for, you know, and when we do live shows, we definitely read from communist literature and stuff like that. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah how um how many albums does
0: sound bandits have released we have seven so far. seven okay so how long when did
1: that start about a year ago so we, really that much yeah. production in a year <laughs> yes <laughs> so that's kind of our thing is what we do is we do field recordings of um also well, the, the first few albums were field recordings of me and my uh, friend casey uh who's also hosts a radio show with me um and uh it, basically i would just record him playing guitar in his bedroom And then I would go back and pause, stretch it or add some samples in or like do a bunch of weird stuff to make their atmospheric backing over the, over the guitar. And then I might play little keyboards or ukulele or something like that um, to, to sharpen it up a little bit. And then, um, and so that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we formed our, our stuff. So it was really easy to make really quick. Like what we did was we made albums of the, of the stuff we made. And then we made a best of phase one, which is really our like auxiliary almost like once you okay the best of and so like when we create the next thing we're going to do we're hope to do a few out several albums here in this next phase and we have the newest one we did was um less overdubbed more live and uh and we have a drummer now we have a bassist we have a key and um a, a saxophonist now in this second phase and a midi um and do you play instruments I do. I play the MIDI keyboard. I sing sometimes, and I play – I've been playing guitar and nuke and stuff like that since I was, like, 10 years old. But I'm awesome. not nearly as good at – because KC is at guitar. He's, like, really, really phenomenally good. I'm more about texture and soundscapes and stuff like that, uh, personally. Um, but, yeah, so that's um, – we, 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 just, we, we just have an interesting recording process. It's a process art, you know?